That was the Jan Hammer track from Miami Vice, his work for the show, which was entitled Teresa. And that um, track, together with the one that I'm going to play at the end, which is called Tubbs and Valerie, sums up in its musical attitude and its musical romantic feeling a point I wish to make today concerning love in the 40s. And I'm not talking about the 1940s. I'm talking about love in the era of your life when you were roughly between the ages of 35 and about 45 or 50. It can be a little younger than that, and it can also be older than that when your whole life takes on a kind of of overriding, a massive, heavy gravity and seriousness that tends to bring everything you do into a kind of groove of overwroughtness and um, kind of exaggerated importance. Uh, now, I say this because I'm such a fan of the Jan Hammer soundtrack for all those seasons, especially the first three, and to some extent in the fourth, but especially the first three, that I'm... Um, I'm struck as I listen to it now at age 62, looking back on music that I simply found electrifying in my uh, late 30s and early 40s. I'm trying to talk uh, to think a little bit about the person that I was then and the person that this music speaks to and actually the person uh, that I was to whom I would wish to speak. I always feel in some of these casts when I talk about sort of looking back on life. I almost, uh, I, I constantly think of, of the uh, uh, Twilight Zone episode, uh, Walking Distance, with, um, isn't it, Gig Young um, and others. Uh, there are a number of episodes in the Twilight Zone and many episodes throughout uh, the history of that kind of material where you go back in time and you attempt to address the person that you were as a teenager or in their 20s and 30s or even 40s, and you try to sort of talk them out of something that they're planning to do that you actually did in hopes of not making the mistake that you now know it was. And this has been dramatized a million times and with great effectiveness and real power in the Rod Serling teleplay Walking Distance. But it's uh, Van Druten tried to do it and said it was impossible to do it. And there's even a little bit of an element of it in one of T.S. Eliot's plays, The Family Reunion. Um, but it's implicit. It's an extraordinary idea to look back upon yourself when you were, say, in your 40s. And what might you uh, say to the person you were when you were then. Well, because of something else, I happened to be listening to the uh, Jan Hammer episodes, and I not only was sort of brought back with a jolt, a kind of Proustian jolt, back to the uh, back to my 40s as I listened and saw, uh, but I was also aware of the kind of uh, um, kind of massive inflation of feeling that occurs almost in direct relationship to how beset you are. Now, um, how, how closed in upon you are by the pressures of life in your 30s and 40s, most people at least, or many people are, and to almost that extent, the longing and the hunger and the absolute desire to get the hell out of Dodge, to get the heck out of there, to find a way out, is almost magnified by the degree to which you feel bound and caught on the wheel. And that uh, comes up very much in these um, 
very rhapsodic and lyrical musical pieces that Jan Hammer composed, they were always in relationship to a doomed love affair between one of the protagonists, Sonny Crockett, played by Don Johnson, or Ricardo Tubbs, played by that wonderful actor whose name has suddenly escaped me. I'm so sorry because he's so great and he became famous later for some ads that he used to do. Um, and it'll come back to me so great, uh, the Ricardo Tubbs actor. But these two characters uh, were sort of in their um, mid-30s, and they were experienced men, both with histories uh, of personal failure, marriage, and or relationships. And then they would fall in love, you know, zong, uh, <laughs> with somebody wonderful. And because of other factors, usually the mob or the Colombian drug cartel or a drug addiction or another person or somebody else who was calling the shots or some lie that never came out until the end, the love affair which started out so sincerely and so um, touchingly and so almost uh, really you were just on the side of it so much was blown apart by circumstances beyond our control. You know that uh, pretender song, Back on the Chain Gang, which by the way is a perfect musical um, expression of what it's like to be back on the chain gang of life. And you tend to get that when you're in your 30s. Let's talk about that person. Let's remember that the opening cue from Jan Hammer was entitled um, uh, Teresa. And it uh, is an episode in which Helena Bonham Carter, she was just becoming known in Hollywood at that time, and she was in a... Uh, in a Miami Vice episode, which is a very big deal at the time, and she um, played opposite Sonny Crockett, who was uh, trying to help her because it turned out she was a physician who had become addicted to um, controlled substances. And I think if I, if my memory serves me well, uh, that's a song. Uh, she was addicted, I think, to heroin, and he tries to help her, and I think other factors intervene. And at the end, I believe he maybe does help her get into treatment in Hartford, as it turns out, as I recall. But um, the the lost, the, you know, the fault lies not in ourselves, but in our stars, to give you an ironic reference there and to turn it all around. Um, in these characters, they're star-crossed. Destiny brings them together, but like Dido and Aeneas, destiny pulls them apart, and they're always sort of almost, uh, they're vast doomed love affairs, and they occur again and again and again in the Miami Vice uh, series. And um, the, the music of takes the pathos and the compassion of the viewer for these poor people and their doomed relationship and uh, jacks it up to a very high degree of, uh, of, of wistful pathos. It's very poignant and wonderful. And at the end, the episode, I'll talk about it for a second, but this is what happens when you're in your 40s. Love in the 40s, because let's look at this for a minute. Um, it, it all came play to me once. I was leading with Mary a Bible study in Scarborough, and I was sort of getting to that phase in my own life, but I'd never actually heard it stated by someone who was a tad older than we, but had the. But he stated it. He said, you, you have to understand it. He was very uh, uh, upfront about this in our little Bible study in a very lovely house. He said, I've, I've, I, I'm not in a regular job anymore. I'm in a consulting position. I do all right with what I make out of it, but I'm, I, uh, I'm now a, a full-time consultant. And so 
so uh, I only eat, as it were, to the extent that I get these jo- hustle these jobs. So I've got a tremendous amount of, of, of stress on me to get these consulting jobs, which are my bread and butter. Number two, I've I've got a you know I've got I've got, I've, I've got growing children. I've got sort of junior high age kids who are very demanding and coming to a point where they really need me, and I have a, and one of them is having a lot of problems right now, and I'm very sort of caught by my responsibility towards my children. And then he said, and I've also got a mom who lives far away in another state and is very ill right now and I have to have she has no one to look after her and I feel responsible to to her and to support her and then I've got this big house in the suburbs that I'm trying to pay for and uh, isn't fully paid for and I've got a big debt there and I've got another thing that I have to do financially that's keeping me going and of course you in, in this he sort of sotto voce he said entre nous he said and then of course I've got my you know you know my wife and he, she's wonderful but she's fairly high maintenance he confided to us he said she she does not take it lying down as it were I mean she she is in on all these things and she herself was a professional person and so he had he regarded his marriage as a taking quite a bit of, of maintenance. So be it. And he said, yeah, so I'm at a stage when I don't have time to do anything. I'm just caught, 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 caught uh, by everything else. And I have no time for myself and no time for anything. And now, and the stakes are high. You know, the stakes are high. Um, the, during that same period, we were once uh, watching Mary and I, a, a, a team from our parish earlier, that era in New York City, uh, running the New York Marathon. And we were at a certain point and we were trying to give encouragement to all the people and give them little cups of water and this guy huff and puffs we had a special eye for the t-shirts that might reflect whether they were some from church group or some kind of a you know there was a religious dimension to their competing and this poor guy he must have been about 48 and he was overweight by the world's terms and he was having a terrible time at mile 18 or whatever it was <sighs> and we kind of you know thumbs up or we gave him the sign of the, the fish you know or something like that and he said yeah he said thanks he said I'm a Baptist Pastor, <laughs> I got a hundred dollars riding on this. Well, we we just haven't stopped laughing about that for forty years. <clears throat> he had a lot riding on this. Well, even in the, I mean, uh, he, he, it just you know you get to that stage. You got a lot. Of, I'm a Baptist pastor. I got a lot riding. He had a lot riding on this, and a lot of the the serious fact of the matter is that these people do have a lot riding on it. And Sonny Crockett and Teresa, I think her name is Lyons in the in the teleplay of the show, um, they've got a lot riding on this. I mean, her whole ability to practice medicine, her license is at stake, her entire livelihood and all the training and everything that she's been about for the last 20 years is on the line because of her addiction. And uh, Sunny is constantly in situations where everything is on the line. And uh, this is the way it feels, and it's less the way it is than the way it feels. And you know what I'm talking about. You, 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 you you're probably not listening to this if you're the person I'm, I'm putting myself in the shoes of, because I was like this too. You take it very seriously. All of a sudden, jobs and schools for your kids and future tuition plans on insurance. I mean, you know this. Whether you're young or beyond needing to worry about this with your dad, you know. You're listening to it in the great beyond. You're, you know that these things take on a tremendous, the world gives them great importance, and then you give them importance, and by the time you're about 44, they feel very, very important. Now, one is very well advised here to always remember Wordsworth's poem, Intimations of Immortality, when he talks about the child who, as he or she grows up, the shades of the prison house begin to close. It's something like that. I always forget the verb at the end of the line, but the shades of the prison house begin to come down because adult life feels like a prison house because you've got, like my friend in Scarborough said, I've got this and I've got that and I've got 
that and I've got that and I've got no maneuvering room. And it's a little bit like the law in a theology. The law is all these responsibilities, these oughts. And when you're sort of 48 and they involve large financial possibilities and all sorts of house of cards, not to mention your professional life, that at that age is usually either about to move up or about to stop almost forever, and the walls of the prison house. And so it feels like you're the Baptist pastor in mile 17. It's too much. And so there's a part of you that's bound to be there, whatever you want to call it, who really doesn't like this very much. You feel kept. You feel, you feel <laughs> closed in. And so your part of you is looking for a way out. And that explains why adultery is uh, third-party relationships are very common in marriages, male and female at that point, because it seems sometimes like, well, maybe that's my ticket out. Maybe that's how I can get out of this impossible crushing burden or some move in your professional life that's off the wall and really destroys it. You know, what is commonly called today a career-ending move, because part of you doesn't really want to be on this, uh, the wheel in the sky. You know, you, you don't want to be on this perpetual sort of thing. Uh, the, what used to be called the rat race. You, 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 it's, you know, it's around and around and around and around. And so you're looking. And so when you finally do find the ticket out, it's often through a very, very tiny little hole. And often in getting out of it, the whole building comes down. You, you squeeze out of it or you blow it up at that little point of vulnerability. And then everything goes. Your, 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 your whole family life is destroyed. Your marriage is destroyed. Your future relations with your children are destroyed. I'm talking to a a uh, lady the other day, and I was saying to her, asking her, how are your children, who are both in their late 20s at this point, and she's divorced, and I was saying, how are your children? And she said, well, you know, it's very hard for me to even tell you, but um, I'm, my children are not in touch with me right now. They're very mad at me for, and then she said something, they're, they're very mad at me for doing such and such a thing, and they don't want to have anything to do with me right now. And I said, good grief, you know, you, 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 you were obviously, I thought to myself, you probably were in a life that felt no exit, we clothe, there's no way out, no way out. And uh, somebody, something, something came along and you took it as the way out because the pressure was intolerable. And in doing so, the whole thing, and for a person of that age who's a, a mother to tell me that her children are... Um, alienated from her drastically as a result of something that she did is very, very um, revealing and illuminating. And I, I felt for this person. Uh, this happens, I was at a place the other day with some people who were all roughly my age. And um, everybody, actually, I began to talk about this new book that I've written called... Uh, called uh, An Off-the-Wall Guide to World Religion, which is directed towards somebody who's in the process of dying, and especially people for whom life has sort of blown itself up, or they've blown up their lives. And boy, it was like you could hear a pin drop. I mean, just about everybody in the room said, oh my gosh, you know, I could, I, and Mary felt it. He said, oh my gosh, this is reality. And the guy said, oh my gosh, you're, you're, you're thinking about reality. I, I thought it was religion. You know, you, this is reality. But he had, he, and then it found out, you know, that he, she, them, all the different people all had a story to tell in reference to the sort of looking for a way out. But because there was so much pressure to the degree that there was pressure on them, the way out they took was like a pressure cooker uh, opening and thermonuclear disaster and then what did I do where have I been and the music of Jan Hammer conveys this very very well because there's always that lyricism that deep longing listen to Jan Hammer it'll seem a little dated to you now because it's sort of it feels a little overly dramatic I would say if there's any if there's anything about the position or the emotional attitude of Jan Hammer's uh, uh, music for uh, um, incidental music to a Midsummer Night's Dream known as Miami Vice, the only thing that you sometimes can say, there's a kind of a, 
of of of, of thermonuclear romanticism in it that seems a little maybe overdrawn or overwritten. I mean, these are all words, but it's just a slight feeling because it's so romantic and so lyric and so rapturous. And um, that's the thing about that age group. You, 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 This age group, I'm speaking a little beyond it, but I remember the era. And you know what happens is then everything becomes really, really important. Everything is so gosh darn important. And looking back on it later, you realize, well, it wasn't that important. If only I'd been a little, if only I'd been able to see that this relationship or that relationship or this move or that fault or this temperamental disability or this particular situation was not quite as heavy as I was believing it to be based upon that kind of deep pressure that I was feeling that caused anything that was not sort of in accord with the givens to feel like some kind of mammoth rebellion. And when it was really uh, ultimately something that was really uh, in context uh, was lighter, that's all, a kind of lighten up, let's call it that. Um, I'll close by uh, talking about um, how this works out in parishes. If anyone here is uh, involved in kind of religious life or in institutions, uh, actually it works out this way in uh, almost all institutions because so, I've, I've been involved in other institutions, especially educational ones. One of the things about clergy, I'm not talking about a seminary, by the way. I'm, when you become a, in the ministry and after about two or three years of being in one place and you begin to get to know people, you're often asked to be on elimosinary boards. You're often asked to be sort of the religious person representing the faith community in a, in a, in a larger community, a school or a home for a group home or a uh, certain kind of a hospital or a certain kind of um, um, educational subsidiary, collateral or ancillary institution. I've been on many of these boards. You, you don't even write them up in your resume. You forget that you were on them, but you went to many meetings and you find out that almost Almost everybody will tell you the same story, that the people who are difficult in the meetings are the people who are basically the people I'm talking about in love in their 40s, like I was. They're the people for whom life is very serious. Life is tremendously serious. And so you, I'll just say in vestries, what would happen is, you know, people who are elderly and retired or live alone or widows or widowers or just um, 80 or 60 or 70 were often pussycats. They were often, they were grateful for what they, for, for the love and attention they got. They were supportive. They had a long view. They were seldom too anxiously engaged in whatever was currently going on in the church. And they could bless you without being, uh, they, of course, there are exceptions, but for the most part, you often had your fan club among the sort of 70-year-olds or 80-year-olds, and then you often had young single people or very newly married people who were open, interested, visionary, exuberant. They'd found something in what you were saying that made a difference in their lives, and they wanted to do something. They wanted to go somewhere, and they were very often very supportive. Always the problem, I would say, no, not always, characteristically, the problem lay that on your vestry or your governing board, you had a couple of people who were in their 40s for whom life was very, very serious. So, for example, if something wasn't quite right on a youth group retreat to uh, a, a ski resort, quote, end of quote, in western North Carolina, you hadn't quite handled a particular logistical matter properly, or you got a complaint because you brought some new kids in who were difficult, or you, or something happened in a disciplinary way that, that you 
uh, hadn't uh, seen, and it just it could be an, uh, could just or the wrong person paid for the gas. Uh, it it, uh, it, it, it th- these things became very important to people, or uh, some aspect of a church social function was handled wrong, or something where there was a strong value judgment, like the homeless or the a certain kind of person that you're trying to help in the parish had become a kind of cause celebre for somebody, and there was no uh, willingness to realize that you might, as the minister or rector, have twelve different things like that that you were all trying to trying to attend to, not just one, which was their particular hobby horse. And this, anyone who's listening to this who's ever uh, scheduled parish announcements know how people roughly of this age who have a hobby horse, a particular thing that they are important to them in the parish, it's the only thing they see. And if you don't credit put their hobby horse number one, uh, you are really in deep water. And so what it happened is everything is just too darn serious. It has a little bit of the Jan Hammer feel to it. Um, something becomes too serious. You, in the same way that that um, we 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 would see some terrible things happen in domestic family relationships. I'm talking usually about third party relationships that would bust up two families in Westchester County, two successful families, and bust up children and bust up neighborhoods almost because of some long term thing that came out that was very. Uh, I'm not talking about a crime. I'm talking about simply what used to be sort of John Cheever territory, and uh, um, and 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 it would become this un unbelievably powerful addictive issue that had happened in the community because Maureen and Bill or you know Lionel and uh, Karina uh, were known to be carrying on and uh, it, it, it was uh, you made a federal case out of it and it was very important needless to, I'm not saying it wasn't very important but there was a kind of heavy heavy seriousness about it that people who were much older would be a little bit more detached about and people who were much younger would sort of be <clears throat> often oddly uh, have a sense of humor, a sense of irony about it. There was very little irony in the people on my vestries who were on my case. And they were always on my case about something that appeared to be very minor. And of course, the fact that they knew that I thought it was secondary would contributed to their ire. So in every single parish I was in, the people that were by far the most challenging to me and adversarial um, in many cases were one particular or two particular people who were in their late 30s or early 40s for whom life was very very serious. Now, looking back on it now, I feel for them because the shades of their prison house had closed in intensely. And so you have to feel, but at the time, they're the people that make life miserable. I'm about to give a talk at the at a clergy conference in Texas on the theology of the difficult person. And actually, I think anyone, most people in the parish would say that most of the people who are most difficult are the people for whom the shades of the prison house have closed so intensely that these are people who are, who are just, who, who are, they're just gasping for air. The, their lives are so on them that there's very little maneuvering room. So the least little thing, especially if it comes to the church where they're sort of looking to some kind of aid, this aspirating person uh, is looking for some kind of aid. And if they don't get it, then it's like that little that little thing, that chink in the armor, the, 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 the explosion occurs through there and something which appears very, very minor in overall objective human terms suddenly becomes unbelievably engrossing because the responsibilities they have have caused a situation where they're in a pressure cooker. And this really, in my opinion, helps to depersonalize the issue that you have with such persons. Well, I can like to finish with just that thought. And um, I hope you like Miami Vice as much as I do, but listen to this music and you can get it online and you can buy it. Um, Jan Hammers, it's in a two CD collection and it's really all wonderful, but the great ones are the the very, very serious, very lyrical, very rapturous, uh, and ultimately very um, uh, 
I think there's a kind of dread underlying the kind of love that we're talking about in your 40s. There's a kind of dread and a fear, a deep, deep fear that if you make a mistake, the whole world, what is it in Haskell Wexler's movie Medium Call? Cool. The whole world is watching. The whole world is watching. Well, that's what it feels like when you're in the midst of this intoxicating dream, uh, which I am so eager to try to sort of snap my fingers and burst, not with the idea of bursting the person, but relieving the pressure that creates the kind of actings out that in Miami Vice terms always end in disaster. Here's Valerie and Tubbs.